Welcome back to another episode of Out of the Blank Podcast. Matt, it's a pleasure to have you back on the show, man. How's it going? Yeah, really good. Yeah, having a nice time. Um, sun's out. Um, well, per- Performing any stand-up com- comedian? Stand-up comedian? I didn't know you were actual stand-up. Yeah, I've been doing stand-up a lot for about the last um, sort of four years or so. Uh, and particularly post-pandemic, uh, the last 18 months, I've been doing a lot of stand-up. Uh, and also performing at... Um, some quite weird venues as well. There's a place in Hyde Park in London, which is called Speaker's Corner, which is sort of like a kind of uh, a place where people go for sort of freedom of ex- to exercise freedom of speech. So I go down there sometimes and um, uh, and that's sort of less overtly stand up, but it's sort of kind of similar thing. And I talk a lot about um, NATO and war in Ukraine and Julian Assange and WikiLeaks and those kind of things. Um, to I was whoever. curious how you made that funny. How do you make that funny? Because that just sounds like a dead Well, time. like I said, it's probably not that funny. <laughs> but it's quite funny because the people at Speaker's Corner are quite, they're often quite, um, uh, they, they like to heckle a lot. Uh, and they kind of, the audience kind of makes it funny. Um, there's a lot of shouting, a lot of barracking and, um, a lot of people sort of messing around, a lot of tourists coming through who are just having a laugh. Um, and so, yeah, the, the, I, I do sometimes sort of, th- um, I do write lines as well that are kind of uh, funny in the political speeches that I do. Um, but that's perhaps not, it's, it's not quite the same thing as doing sort of more flippant stand-up, which is what I do most of the time. But yeah, I've been gigging down, down there um, and yeah, and just performing around the area as well. And uh, as well Do you have as, a specific like a uh, joke? I hate to be that guy that's like, tell me a joke, Mister Funny Man. But do you have like a specific joke that you, you know, that gets a good amount of laughs? I I usually just tell like storytelling stuff. But my best joke is probably recently um at my work. I work at a gym. I was in a parking lot and a guy had pulled up to, beside another car and wouldn't let him get out. Basically, you can't even open up the door. And then I just see this car back up and I stop recording on my phone and I go, okay, this guy's probably leaving. It's 3.30 in the morning. So I'm like, what could this person want? Pulls up right beside me and goes, roll your window down. And I'm like, oh, shit. And I roll my window down. He goes, hey, you know where the gun shop is? And I'm like, whoa, what do you mean? He's like, but he, he, he knew my name and everything. He's like, Robbie, could you tell me where the gun shop is? And I'm like, oh, God. I was like, I don't even know if there's one in Maryland. And that's where I live. And he's like, of course there's one in Maryland. I Googled it on my phone. And I'm like, uh, nah, sorry, man, I can't help you. He goes, all right, well, and then he went to go ask me another question. I rolled up my window. I went inside and I talked to the guy who was, he asked first. And I said, Bob, I said, did you give him my name? He goes, yeah. And I go, he was looking for a gun shop. He goes, yeah, I thought you'd know. And I was like, if a guy asks where a gun shop is at 3.30 in the morning, you don't, you you either roll up your window or you get the fuck out of Dodge, man. And he just kind of looked at me. He goes, oh, I didn't think it was a big of a problem. I was like, okay. But that's like, I had a joke that, I mean, it's an actual real story thing, but it's, I usually expand it longer. I kind of just chopped it up here, but that's my one liner. Do you have, happen to have one? No, not that I can think of right now. It's late. <laughs> it's early for me. It's around lunchtime. Yeah. It's, uh, I'm about to go out. I'm performing tonight just at an open mic. Um, so I'm, I'm leaving here in about an hour. Uh, and so I should have some jokes in my head. Usually, um, usually I, I often refer to my own appearance because I look like the sheriff from Stranger Things. Um, and that usually gets people um, uh, r- responding. And I talk about how I'm not the sheriff from Stranger Things because uh, he's a, an incompetent chain smoking drunk. And I am not a sheriff. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. Uh, I I wanted to invite you back on because the first time you were on, we talked a lot about uh, the influence of the military into film. Um, And I know Top Gun 2 kind of woke a lot of people up to it. Uh, It didn't spark up my interest with Top Gun 2. I kind of knew a little bit before, but just not how deep it went. And then since our first discussion, I dived down the rabbit hole of the history about it, the history of Hollywood. Um, I never asked you what your thoughts were about the military influence into movies. I mean, do you think that should be allowed? I think in some cases, like small propaganda, but then I just don't think it ever stops with small propaganda. Yeah, I mean... I've certainly talked about this in other interviews that um, I don't think there should be a, a sort of blanket ban on on hardly anything. Uh, but certainly, you know, the government should be able to cooperate sometimes under certain conditions to make movies better. Uh, but that's the excuse that, that the Department of Defense and CIA, etc., are giving all the time that, you know, that they're important in making these films more authentic and more accurate. Um, 
but they are they're doing that so systematically so wide in such a widespread way often rather covertly um and in fact for 40 years almost um uh you know uh uh deceitfully really because they weren't um they weren't releasing the uh the information about script changes so it's just gone you know i think there is an argument for you know maybe a sort of uh you know mustachioed old general in an office somewhere in the pentagon who can you know give a bit of advice about how you know what military uniforms should be worn and what kind of language would be used in battle um but you know we it's it's not that that's not that is not what is happening it's not there for advice it is there to control narratives I mean, we can talk about different stages of this, but I, I mean, what, what would be your focus if you had to choose between, I guess, the care about the people that are directing movies like free creative content, or do you care about the like the public perception for me is a big one, uh, mostly because I remember whenever I saw like a movie with like either gangsters or mob figures, and then I saw the police, the police were the good guys and the mob figures were the bad guys. Well, then I learned about organized crime and the assassination plots against Castro and the government's working with the mob. And I'm like, wait, was that just the lie? Was the mob really these enemies these people we should hate and then i look into the history of like bootlegging and all these types of things i mean they i could have been a mob guy i mean if you would have lumped me in that category it's much like we kind of paint the brush at communism so i start going is this a lot a lot of propaganda that's been sewed into my head and it makes me examine every film now i'm like good god is anything real anymore i watched the new fast and furious and i can tell you it's 100 percent bullshit <laughs> you bothered to go to that did you <laughs> i did it was actually it yeah I, I have so many i'm not going to spoil this it. is uh, this is robbie this is you frying your own brain <laughs> it was a lot my buddy this is his favorite movie series and i thought this was the last one and then at the ending i'm like how are they going to wrap it all in like 10 minutes and he goes there's two more movies coming out and i'm like oh shit i gotta sit through this two more times i've been through the 10 of them now so what's more important, um, public perception or um, kind of the uh, creative rights? Um, I guess I guess for me, um, public perception is the most important because this is about shaping history. Um, uh, you know, the whole way that American foreign policy is viewed uh, is being and has been for decades uh, twisted by these uh, these systems of, of power. So I think that's a really bad thing. But I would say that an important secondary concern is that when the Department of Defense and others get involved in movie making, they almost invariably make those films worse. It is very rare that they make them better because they strip out anything that's interesting about the uh, about the content, anything that's new, anything that goes against the tide, uh, anything creative, um, anything surprising. Um, and so they, invariably they make they make products worse. They might make the product look slightly better by providing an aircraft carrier or a helicopter or whatever. But um, creatively, they are uh, it's a, it's very bad to bring the government into to, to anything. What about examples of foreign policy? Could you give me some? Yeah, I mean, uh, so I did a whole uh, book on this um, uh, it, with Tom Secker in 2017 called National Security Cinema. Um, there's an enormous number of, of films that have foreign policy themes. Black Hawk Down is kind of the most obvious one because it's about um, the US involvement in Somalia. Um, but there are a lot of, uh, uh, the, the, uh, it, it, it seems silly to list them really because there are hundreds of these things. Um, but ones that come to mind, one about North Korea, uh, the interview um, made by Sony, um, which was about blowing up, killing um, assassinating the uh, dictator of North Korea, um, various ones about uh, uh, about Iraq, various ones about uh, there's one coming out later this month called Kandahar, uh, uh, which is about Iran and about uh, Afghanistan. So there's a, a, a constant stream of foreign policy films, and then there's also kind of films that are um, that relate to foreign policy. In that you know the baddies might be Russians, um, and, and that includes TV series like Stranger Things and, and stuff like that, um, or Homeland, which um, has uh, Iranian villains and all sorts of Middle Eastern villains. The TV series Twenty Four, which also became a spin-off movie. You know, there's kind of Argo, um, the film about Iran. There's you know kind of constant stream of several movie, high-profile movies each year that come out that relate to foreign policy themes and often really quite tightly relate to foreign policy themes. And very, very commonly those those films um, and TV series work very closely with the Department of Defense, CIA, 
um, other national security or security agencies um, with them effectively acting as executive producers, having editorial control over those scripts. So it's a, it's a, they, they're exerting an enormous influence directly over, over popular culture. And really until we'd done this work, the idea that the government controlled or exercised a considerable influence over popular culture was not really accepted um, in certainly not in mainstream um, publications. The idea that the government was controlling what was on your TV 25 years ago would have seemed fanciful. Um, it would have been a conspiracy theory. Um, but that is exactly what we have discovered, uh, particularly in terms of controlling um, movies. And that there was a cover up with that, which involved uh, the only historian who was working on it, but he was also on the quiet working for the Department of Defense. So, uh, and then therefore not not releasing um, a, a lot of the, the vast majority of the information that he had. Uh, about this relationship between the Department of Defense and um, uh, and film producers, entertainment producers. So it's it's really important. I mean, it's always been known, obviously, that the government has an impact on the political culture, um, on the uh, on the way that politics is discussed. But the idea that the government would have an impact on the uh, on the on the uh, entertainment culture uh, is really odd. Uh, including any film that could possibly be a critique or a critical thought on what the government was doing, such as like a Vietnam take or something like that. I mean, there's a new trailer for the Oppenheimer movie that's going to be coming oh, yeah. out. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. I'd be really interested to know if there has been government cooperation with Oppenheimer. I'm imagining not, and certainly I've not seen anything yet on that. Um, it seemed like it when they played the trailer. It seemed like they were, you know, talking about how they had a they were on a rush to beat the Russians to get this thing going, this weapon that was going to be, you know, insane. And there was danger that came with it. But thank God, like the, the scientists, these amazing scientists, pulled it off. Type deal. Which I looked at it, I was like, oh my god, that's got to be a hundred percent influenced by something. That's, I mean, to make a film like that, and, and I already knew they were going to use the the name as soon as I saw uh, Oppenheimer or whatever the person they called Oppenheimer in the beginning. Like that's just the title the movie i bet you and then right at the ending there's the title of the movie but i can't not see it now i can't understand like the, even the relationship with hollywood back in the day the things actors had to do to betray themselves the way that the fbi betrayed themselves into film and just at this point i start looking at everything like there could be a slight bit of propaganda whether it was 100 percent funded like this is going to be 100 percent a propaganda film i don't think that but it, now it's changing history. If we talk about Oppenheimer and what it might end up being or any other films that have came out that could be historical significance, my generation is disconnected from that. They don't know anything about the Vietnam War unless they learned about it through a textbook. They didn't experience it. They didn't get to be around it during when it happened. So then we're watching a film to get our basis for what it was possibly like back then, and it could be largely skewed, and no one might ask questions about it. Yeah, um, it's obviously a problem, isn't it? Uh, uh, because we all get information from popular culture. Um, I think uh, some people, uh, I, I did a talk the other day where some group of people were saying, well, you know, there's uh, people don't really watch films as much anymore because, <laughs> you know, people don't go to the cinema. It's like, well, they might, people might not go to the cinema very much, but pretty much every, any night that I do stay in, and I turn on the TV, there is going to be a film which is uh, on the, uh, somewhere. And I've only got like, I'm one of these people who's only got about 20 channels or so on my TV. Um, but every night that I stay home, I always find something. It's either Terminator 4 or it's uh, Independence Day or it's Air Force One or it's a whole TV series. And it's always the case that there is some something is being repeated. Um that uh, that is in some way shaping uh, uh shaping history shaping these kind of narratives so i think the influence does persist um and yeah it's a it, it's a it's a very bad state of affairs i mean what that there are i should emphasize though i mean there are films that are really really good and politically really interesting and also um uh, challenging to state narrative. It's just that they don't tend to get very much support. They don't tend to be very well funded. 
um, and the actors involved often have to take a pay cut. Um, there was a film actually on TV the other night called The Report um, uh, with Jodie Foster uh, and Benedict Cumberbatch, which is a really good film a couple of years ago uh, about Guantanamo Bay. It was a good drama. Um, and there was a film called Vice uh, with Jeremy Renner, I think it is, um, uh, about the vice president, Dick Cheney. Uh, and there's, of course, Oliver Stone's films, um, which you will know well. Uh, including things like Snowden from 2016. So there, there is a list of um, of material out there which is really good and really challenging to American foreign policy narratives. Um, but it's um, they have to go overseas. Oliver Stone has to go overseas to get his funding. Even for his he has to go maybe. overseas to get his money. Yeah, um, and always has done um, since the early 80s. Um, he's always had to uh, to take uh, uh, foreign money. Uh, and there, there's a nice illustration of that as well, that um, when he was filming Snowden uh, around 2016, his mother died during the production of the film. But because the budget was so tight, he couldn't fly back from Europe to go to his mother's funeral. Um, so this is someone who's one of the most successful filmmakers of all time, who sim simply didn't have the money to um, the budget. Uh, to take the time off uh, to fly back to the States for a couple of days. You know, that's how tight the budgets can often get on uh, on films like this. So it's very difficult for um, for these kind of oppositional narratives to to get through. But they still do. So it's not, uh, you know, that you, you can still make a really good... Uh, I still think, you know, if you wanted to make a, a really good wall of DVDs um of of hollywood movies that were really exciting and interesting and countercultural and and honest you could still do that it's just that the 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 wall on the other side of the room would be um much more stacked with uh, uh with much better funded uh, much better funded products and that's simply you know that's just simply the reflection of um a dominant ideology and then more marginalized ideologies well, it's um, it's less censorship, less China, more East Germany during like when the wall was up, the Berlin Wall was up. Like the censors were real people, but they would just look through certain things and they would try to eliminate. You couldn't talk about censorship, which everyone was like, OK, that's fine. We agree to your rules and you have to kind of find ways to work around that, which, like I said, I don't think like it's 100 percent like we shouldn't have any of this in there. I just think that you should have both like you would think that with like an equal society or at least a democracy you know the united states being a democracy you would have this aspect of like trying to have both opinions and views in there rather than just a not not eliminating one but just not giving the time of day to one like if you're funding a whole bunch of stuff to create your perfect vision of america or the army or the united states military whatever you want to say i think you should at least try and fund things that might be more critical on some of your actions as well, too. I haven't really seen any CIA or FBI or DOD or any of that type of critical films before. No, I don't think they're very interested in doing that. Um, in fact, there's a good example of that. In the 90s, there was a film called Fields of Fire. Um, this has been, uh, this is a really interesting case because the guy who wrote Fields of Fire um, was the Under Secretary of State for Defense. He just finished being Under Secretary of State for Defense. Um, it was a, he's called James Webb, and uh, the the book of Fields of Fire was used for the Marines as a standard training uh, piece of standard training literature that, that they they had to read it. Um, it was critically acclaimed, and it was universally accepted to be accurate about everything it was saying about the Vietnam War. Um, but because it included, and in fact, also not only that, the Marine office said, yeah, we'll cooperate on this film. We'll make this film with you. This is fine. Um, but the PR office uh, over, overruled them. Um, that's the PR office in the Department of Defense. And that's because there were certain things in that book and in that screenplay, uh, which even though the rest, even the rest of the military was happy to show it, they were things like burning down villages and there were things like killing superior um, uh, uh, killing superior officers, um, fragging um, and uh, those kind of war crimes. The rest of the US military, and I don't agree with the US military in general, but the rest of the US military was like, yeah, let's get that out in the open. Yeah, we can talk about that. It's fine. That's what happened. Um, and so we should have a you know a discussion about that. We should have a film about that. And it's based on this amazing piece of work by this by the Undersecretary of State for Defence. Um, 
but the PR the PR office was just like, nah, we're the ones who are going to put the kibosh on that. So there is, yeah, it, it's it's that level of extreme. Um, they're not interested in in letting anything come out. Do you think the it all should be exposed, like the warts and all, a little bit? Like, I mean, I feel like if they make a film, let's say about Vietnam and they're burning down villages and stuff like that, they they have made films like that before. We have films out there about Vietnam and burning down villages and homes with people inside them. That's been exposed, but I feel like they also spin it a little bit too. Like, for instance, the MK Ultra film that came out, I was so excited, man. I was sharing it on my Facebook. I was like, this is going to be awesome. Then I'm watching it. I removed the link that I shared and I go, don't watch this. They took too much blame off the government and kind of put it more to like, oh, well, this is better than getting a lobotomy. Like, for instance, if you examine it from a film perspective, the kids in the middle of getting a lobotomy, like they're drilling into his head or putting the ice pick in the eye and all that. And the phone rings. Stop. Don't put them in there. We're going to put them in this project where we're going to give them LSD and see if that treats them. It's like, well, that's not what exactly what they did. They dosed Americans who were not known of being like consenting to being dosed with LSD and people went on horrible freakouts and killed. And uh, this has all been documented. So that was kind of like the MK Ultra film, and they titled it MK Ultra. Where I go, even if it was a specific moment in the MK Ultra program, you titled your whole film MK Ultra, so people are going to now view this as like, oh, this is MK Ultra that I heard about, and they look at it and they go, oh, that's not that bad. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it reminds me a bit of that film Men in Black, uh, which uh, you know, obviously for for decades there was the myth of what Men in Black are, which are these sort of spooky. Uh, uh, figures that come around uh, if you've seen some anom anomalous uh, ufological event uh, and uh, you know they were kind of myth and legend but then of course no one knows what men in black are anymore because it's just like oh yeah you mean the movie <laughs> so that's what I'm saying like I mean even if are we going to start seeing like historical stuff like the Oppenheimer movie that could be coming out and then a bunch of maybe future ones where they just kind of they acknowledge the the issues with it but they spin it in a way where the pr team could just be like hey we're going to make this look a little bit better for you so dampen the blow a little bit and then you got it out in the open so there's not a whole bunch of like shock and awe when it does yeah. get exposed yeah in fact so, so I'll, let me give you an example or two on this um so for years from 1991 um there was something called the highway of death in iraq um and it was it was when the uh, when iraq withdrew troops um, uh, so they were retreating from Kuwait, uh, and the United States bombed the retreating um, Iraqis. They killed maybe ten thousand people. Cameras weren't allowed in there, but like, there's one famous photograph of this sort of burnt-out corpse sitting in a truck like this. Um, that was called the Highway of Death. But what? Uh, but a few years ago, a computer game. I'm trying to remember the name of it now. Um, a video game came out. Which, uh, which was also called, uh, which also had in it the highway of death, um, but the that atrocity was blamed on Russia. So, the, uh, uh, and it was a fictional atrocity. So, effectively, what you had is this well-known phrase from the nineties and two thousands, um, which associated the United States with this war crime. But the but simply by putting it by washing it. Uh, sort of laundering it, if you like, through uh, the entertainment system, that phrase now, you know, if you Google highway of death now, it doesn't come up um, anymore. US, uh, I would think a metal band you know, or something. It, it comes up uh, the name of the computer game. I'm really sorry. I've forgotten. Modern uh, Warfare? I think it might be World of Warfare. Yeah, it was one of the famous ones anyway, one of the big ones. So, yeah, th those kind of things happen, ha happen all the time. Um, but I think what the other one I had in mind was, uh, oh, the, so when they did Godzilla, um, I think it's the 2019 Godzilla that's mentioned in our uh, documentary, Theatres of War, um, they talk about that uh, uh, the, they, they washed down, that they watered down the um, uh, discussion about the, uh, about, about the atomic bomb um, and just sort of say, you know, this is about... Um, uh, man's inhumanity to man or whatever instead of um instead of talking about the dangers of this technology and in fact the whole film is about um how the technology can be used for good how nuclear weapons can be used for good um including to try and destroy these these monsters uh, in the sea which is completely inverting the original purpose of the um of the godzilla uh, story uh, which was meant to be a critique of nuclear power. So these kind of things happen all the time. Now, I'm not saying that in the case of Highway of Death or whatever, 
um, that they are necessarily uh, completely deliberately doing it for very specific political reasons. But obviously, in many cases, they are. Um, in the case of Iron Man, for example, where they inverted the narrative, you know, Iron Man was uh, originally, the script was originally um, a very anti-war, anti-arms trade uh, uh, screenplay. And then uh, Tom Secker and Trisha Jenkins documented it in their book from about 18 months ago uh, about superheroes in the state. They document how that, that those changes happened over about six different, about six, diff six pages in their book. Um, using original documentation, they document how Department of Defense influence meant that the resultant film, uh, Iron Man, ended up with him uh, being a character who's basically saying uh, peace means having a bigger stick than the other guy. Um, so not opposing his father's uh, his father's armaments industry at all, but just using armaments for um, for supposedly good ends. But none of this is, you know, none of this is good. Uh, I, I guess it depends how much it, uh, how bad and how dangerous you think the the world is as well because in in the end of the day it's like you ask that question about you know does it matter creatively yeah it does matter creatively it means that you end up with more boring films and that's that's not great but the extent to which it matters politically um depends the depends on the extent to which you think the world is a bit of a mess and and potentially could get a lot worse um i think there are huge risks uh, in having um uh, Americans propagandizing themselves and British people propagandizing themselves um, with this kind of hype, uh, uh, with these hyped up um, senses of threat, these hyped up senses of um, of self righteousness. Uh, I think it's really dangerous to have that, and I think if we didn't have um, this um, uh, uh, popular culture meshed so closely with the uh, political culture in such a dangerous way i think we'd have a lot more civilized uh, societies and a lot less fraught and frenetic and insane discussions particularly about foreign policy do you think it's more concern of the way the public views their own government or do you think it's more of a concern of sending a message to another government like i mean if you could take a poll maybe it even shifted at some point i would have thought maybe it was worried about the way that the public views the government in the beginning and then now i see a lot of films where it's like why did you do a film like that? I don't feel anything after this film. I actually feel empty a little bit. And it's like, was that for us or was that for the other government? Every spy movie now I see is just like, oh, you're just hyping up your own spies trying to make them seem like badasses. 007 is a good example. Um, but then there's plenty of CIA and FBI movies that come out where it's like this. I mean, lethal weapon, for God's sakes, a rogue cop attached to authority or whatever, whatever you want to say. You're just looking at it like you're just trying to, you know, I don't know what you're trying to do, show that every cop's a badass. I don't know. Every undercover cop doesn't play by the rules, but they always get the job done. Something like that where I start noticing, I mean, is this 100 percent for me as a citizen to think differently about my government or is this for another country to get the film and be like, Man, those FBI agents and every cop on the street happens to be a badass with a nice uh, perm or something. I don't know. It, it's it's funny you should say it because uh, that is a um, uh, generally speaking, when we're talking about these things, I'm referring to how we uh, how uh, Hollywood or network TV is deceiving or um, you know shaping narratives for the public. Uh, and yeah, never fuck with Tom problem. Cruise. However, you are, I, I agree with you that, that it does sometimes happen that they, uh, and the CIA seem to do this a little bit more, it, sometimes their message is more directly to their enemies. Um, so I'll give you an example or two there. I'm sorry, this is off the top of my head and I haven't looked at this uh, material for a few years, but there was um, uh, the CIA's PR person was talking about um, Enemy of the State, uh, the Will Smith film from 1998, and also about a TV series called The Agency from around about the year 2000. Um, and he was asked in an interview, why do you keep putting in all of these um, uh, capabilities of the United States military um, as though it can, as though it has this power to surveil um terrorists like this and um, and have these other forms of, of technology. We didn't really think we had that kind of technology yet. And his response there was, "We let's make them think that we have that technology because terrorists watch TV too. So this kind of thing does happen to some extent. It is about power projection. 
Um, and in fact, if you think about the even towards the even the end of the Cold War, for instance, um, a lot of the um, American embassies all across Eastern Europe were stocking um, uh, uh, video, well, VHS video cassettes at that time uh, of American movies as ways of um, kind of uh, promoting American cultural uh, hegemony uh, against the Soviet Union. Uh, and indeed, I'll give you one other example as well, which is another kind of interesting one with that case of the interview, the Seth Rogen film, and James Franco film. Uh, the, uh, that was about the assassination of um, the leader of North Korea. And when and it was worked on by the State Department and it seems by some CIA um, operatives as well. The uh, production history on that one's a little bit fuzzy, but that's what certainly what the, they the, put it on thumb drives and flew it over. And, and they the put it on thumb drives. They put the movie itself on thumb drives and flicked it over the DMZ in uh, in Korea so that they would, you know, to try and encourage an uprising and certainly to encourage the idea that Kim Jong Un is not infallible he's not a god he's just you know he's just someone who can be made into a into a movie character like anyone else um and you know doing this in, in a uh, in a kind of broad comedy see there's so, the new risk right there is that now you're putting celebrities in the way of whatever your propaganda message is and that, that puts their life at danger depending especially you mess with kim jong-un or whoever but also we have them now speaking about things that i don't necessarily want my celebrities speaking about like why are we why are they talking about government issues and standards and things of that sort they're going on tv and talking about a bunch of things that are no relation to acting at all they're just giving out political messages and they feel like they have to and i go i feel like because we drew them into the whole political realm when we started getting them involved in the movies like this yeah i mean that, that's obviously you know celebrities have always been doing that but um it does seem sometimes more galling than at other times uh at the moment you've got this long list of uh celebrities um uh, sean penn and all sorts going into kiev uh in ukraine to support um zelensky and uh the eurovision song contest was um you know uh sorry that's a, a thing in in europe um which is kind of like a celebration of europe um and uh, yeah that was all uh that was all very much about ukraine and uh and i understand that impulse but obviously all all the celebrities who are involved um whether they're large celebrities like arnold schwarzenegger um who i was just watching a couple of days ago talk about um about putin or um smaller celebrities like um uh, you know, uh, just comedians from Britain, for instance, who uh, who, um, who I come across. You know, everyone just wants to trumpet the same old line, and it's uh, it's not a critical line, uh, and it's well, I think it's really really harmful if you uh, if you just have whole societies that are being sort of beefed up and you know with a mega with a megaphone, uh, you know, uh, just following the sort of uh, pro war lines of uh, of their governments. It's a, well, it drags people into trend. the political realm that necessarily don't want to get political. Like it's hard. I've talked to just plenty of film historians who aren't even focusing on the political aspect of things. And they're like, you know, the films are political. Everything has a political thing to it. Even Marvel films, all these types of films, they have something in there that's included in there that you can analyze it. Maybe it's overanalyzing at times, but it's also, I mean, most people just want to see their favorite celebrity and they get a favorite celebrity and then their celebrity makes a statement about a certain policy or certain leader or certain country or certain whatever that's going on. And then they feel like they need to hop in the boat on that and it drags them into the political realm. I mean, it's it, yeah, it's just difficult to really understand. Like you don't want media. Hollywood's always been like this, though. They have a really crappy history with communism and all this types of stuff. So it's difficult to try and say – should we just eliminate it all? Well, it's always been like this. I don't know what it would be like if we didn't have that. Yeah, I, I, I think it's just a bit of moderation, I think, as far as I'm concerned. It's like, I, I don't want to, I, I think there's loads of good uh, Hollywood films. I think there's loads of good um, things about our culture uh, and our civilization. It's just, you know, one of the key things is that we allow, um, uh, we allow these kind of pro-war myths to, to, um, to flourish. Uh, and what do you expect, you know, arms companies and opportunistic politicians um, and military figures, you know, what do you expect them to do? Of course, they're going to go for uh, go for that and uh, and pull on those narrative threads. So for, for me, I think if we can make it, you know, if, if as a species, we can get through the next few years without destroying ourselves, um, that will be that's a bit of a success, really. Uh, I think we should just wind down uh, on the imperial wars, and I think we should go back to where we were 
um, just a few decades ago, maybe um, uh, three decades ago, when we were looking at a peace dividend coming out of the uh, coming out of the Cold War, and I think we should be uh, developing treaties with other countries and uh, um, and pursuing uh, arms control agreements with other countries, um, pursuing dialogue with other countries, just in the same way that we did in South Africa with the um, with the end of apartheid, just as we did with the end of the Cold War. Um, and just as we did with over environmental issues at the beginning of the 90s as well, with things like um, the ozone layer, which we seem to have fixed really, really well. International cooperation is uh, what I'm all about, really. I, I'm, and I think that movies and TV series promote the opposite of that. And celebrities promote the opposite of that because it's simpler, because it, um, it aligns with the interests of the, uh, of the, um, of the people involved in making it. Uh, and because they're so closely in bed with the with the U.S. national security state, but they could easily support, like, go the opposite way of what they've been doing. They can easily support and actually be able to produce some change and some peace. I mean, peace resolution as well too, by making a film about it as well and using that as propaganda instead of trying just to show how badass we are. Yeah, I mean, I think I'm, I'm fairly limited in what I sort of expect or demand. Um, you, are, I agree with you though that probably would be a really good thing if if they did actually do actively do pro peace propaganda um and it, you know it's been done before um go back to the 30s in your country with roosevelt um a huge um, propaganda drive but a positive one i think most people would agree to um to eliminate uh, the worst poverty uh and to uh, and to humanize uh working people and that was a really good thing at the beginning of the New Deal that made a better country, a better civilization. Um, so propaganda can be used for good at the moment, um, because I'm trying to be realistic about it as well. But also because I want to just have sort of limited and achievable aim. Um, I think if the if the national security state was not involved in making films, I think we'd still see a massive and significant um, change in the kind of kind of output that we're getting. Uh, in our uh, in our popular culture, uh, and I think that we and I think that would in, in turn have a significant knock on effect in terms of our overall um, society society's overall discussions um, about foreign policy issues and about foreign countries. Um, we only need to go back to the nineteen seventies um, and look at a period of detente there, um, and a period where cinema suddenly became much more inventive, much more varied in some cases, much more left wing. And that was a much healthier decade. It also was a decade in which the CIA and Department of Defense found it very difficult to, um, first of all, enact new wars in the, in the global realm, but also they found it much more difficult to, to work on um, Hollywood films. They weren't able to do very much of that. Now, I'm not saying that the 70s was the greatest thing ever, but I am saying that this was a period when the Vietnam War was winding down, where America was not as aggressive on the uh, on the global stage, um, and where there was a genuine rise of um, of diversity, plurality, um, uh, and uh, a, and a very active and effective peace movement, both on the streets and in the media. What about a turn? This is a different kind of take, but what about a turn onto the domestic populations more? You know, a focus onto them with some of the films and the, their impact on things. Did you look at the the Judas and Black Messiah movie? Have you ever seen that? No, I've not seen that one. I sometimes miss them these days. I was really on it, as you can imagine, until about eight years ago. But uh, I, there, there are a few that slip through my net these days. It's about the Fred Hampton assassination. And I've spoken to friends who, who knew Fred Hampton. And we have looked into his assassination, not as much as I have with the Kennedy assassination. But if you watch the Judas and Black Messiah movie, they made Fred look a little bit like a thug. They kind of took it on a different take than necessarily what the documents kind of show about it, which kind of take the impact out of his death. I mean, the guy was 20-something years old. And or 21 years old, like a young 20 year old. And in the movie, the guy has a full on like, I mean, he looks like he's 36. They could have got a younger actor to play the guy, but it takes a little bit more impact out of the feel that the audience gets to learn about Fred Hampton, basically, for the first time. Since a lot of people haven't heard his name, but I look at the domestic populations now and I start looking at the movies that are coming out. This utopian idea 
many of these movies now are playing on this utopian like perfect society type deal futuristic style stuff like this is what the future is going to hold it's like watching the jetsons and then you're pissed off that you don't have a flying car right now like there's a lot of this that's going on where i start going i mean is this kind of looking at like maybe we should be looking at the problems internally does that bring a deeper conflict in between us there was um a movie that came out Oh God, I'm, I'm blanking on the name of it, but it gave people a fatigue about the world that really kind of woke them up to like the climate crisis. And it had them really thinking about like, what do we got to do? Produce changes. What do we got to do? I don't, it's not the day after tomorrow. It's, it's, it's a, it's, it came out maybe four or five years ago. It'll, it'll come to me later, but, um, they really had people questioning and wondering to figure out like, how do we fix this? How do we get the earth on the right track? That was a good movement that happened. But I feel like if you get that type of response, what can you get a type of response when it's the opposite way, a utopian idea and you start blaming certain things, you start looking at individual groups, you start targeting political stuff. We start talking about, they made a whole movie 2020, I think it was called. And it was like a, a satirical thing, just jabbing Republicans. I'm not a Republican or Democrat. I probably believe more deep state. And I know everyone jokes about that but i believe that more than ever but i look at it and i go you're really just going to divisivize people even more you're going to make them go really onto the two-party thing and take away from the factor of that there's a lot of things that are going on that aren't necessarily two parties it's deeper than that let me just go back to because you were mentioning fred hampton um uh black panther fred hampton there's another film called uh seaberg about gene seaberg i don't know if you saw that one um i just thought you're um listeners might be interested to know if they if they're interested in another kind of uh fbi conspiracy type film um gene seberg was a uh, famous actress uh who got involved with the black panthers and then she ended up dying in suspicious circumstances i think um it was more likely that she was um not not killed but but she was pressured um into committing suicide and it um was a, a huge scandal but they made a movie of seberg about um maybe 4 years ago uh, and I'd, I'd recommend that one to, um, to, I've just done a bit of a spoiler, haven't I, by saying she died, but actually that's kind of, that's kind of very well known, but if you, but it's, it's, it's an interesting, interesting movie, not a brilliant movie, but, um, but still a good one, a bit like Kill the Messenger is as well about the, um, uh, about what happened to um, Gary Webb, the, uh, the, the, the journalist uh, who's working in Central America. So they're all those kind of movies, which are, you know, they're, they're out there and they're, they're well made and they're, they're pretty good. But the turn on domestically, like I was mentioning about the utopian thing. I mean, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, I see maybe possibly in the future more films coming out of just this utopian idea. And I think that brings bigger conflict amongst people because they're not looking at the core issue. They're looking at a perfect society or what the world could be like if we got our shit together. And when you when I say get our shit together, people start going, well, it's the other guys that are the reason why we don't have our shit together. And that's immediately what it turns on when it's like, no, this has been something that's been going on for a very long time. And it's probably to do with the fact that we keep going into endless wars for no apparent reason. Yeah. Yeah. Uh... I guess there are always trends, aren't there, um, you know, going towards uh, um, you know, what the future is going to be like. So there's always going to be utopian imaginations. Um, the extent to which that is, it's one of those things, I, I'm not sure if you can't really get rid of utopian visions. It's just, it's, it's just people have them. Um, so I, I guess they still reflect uh, what kind of society, what kind of industry is building them. You go back to a film like um, uh, go back to some of the um, uh, Verhoeven films, like uh, the Arnold Schwarzenegger film *Total Recall* um, or the original *RoboCop*, for example. They're talking about uh, sort of futuristic societies, um, which, are, which to some extent might appear um, utopian, where you've got you know kind of inv invincible policemen who can Judge Dread, man, Judge Dread, or Judge Dread. Yeah, so you have these visions, and I guess those. Uh, the, those films that I'm thinking of there um, reflected an ability for um, uh, for Hollywood at that time. Uh, that was the around about 1990 to be able to uh, do a really harsh critique of sort of capitalism or kind of you know the uh, the nature of established entrenched power um, and indeed of foreign policy in the case of. Um, uh, uh, total Recall to some extent uh, or, or how well yeah it, there were foreign policy threads through that anyway um, so but that kind of ability of Hollywood to be able to 
give space to a to huge budget uh, sort of you know hundred you know, blockbuster uh, budget films that are that level of critical um, that happened with RoboCop and with Total Recall. I'm not so sure about Judge Dredd because I can't remember the film well enough. But those that kind of space for um, for kind of left wing criticism uh, is probably gone, um, and so any of the critical material now is is, is all um, relatively you know, low budget, basically. Judge Dredd uh, showed a good amount about poverty and what happens when people get put in a position, but they also it, it's there's some type of similarities with the war on drugs. Which is like there was a slow mo drug that people were taking and it was getting littered on the streets, and these super cops were coming to basically take out these drug dealers and this kingpin or whatever. But I don't know. It just it, it pushes a little bit down on the drug aspects as well too, which makes it a different confusion to society because in the United States over here we're legalizing so many drugs to the point where it's like you know you have these two kind of conflicts. And I know there's been a good chunk of time, but there is still like a drug aspect, which is like people are ingrained to like no, and I don't do drugs, but. I just think like there's a weird conflict what you're doing with the public's perception on things. I mean, wait, you're going to make it legal if it's in your hands, but then if it's in someone else's hands, it's illegal. So it's just like you got a, two different messages being sent. Yeah. Um... That wasn't really a question. That was kind of a rant. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's all right. Yeah, I, I'm sure I had a thought at the back of my head, but I, I've forgotten what it was. What about your <laughs> What about your thoughts? I can't stay on too much longer just because I've got to go early to my my gig tonight. What about um, your thoughts? On, we we've only been talking 45 minutes, but when it comes to what are your thoughts on Apollo 11? I mean, that NASA budget I saw recently, bro, that's insane, man. And that movie will make you 100 percent want to put all your money into space or whatever technology the government asked for. I don't think I've actually seen it yet. I'm really sorry. I think I've seen a trailer for Apollo 11, but uh, oh my god that's no. a sin against humanity right yeah there. i've uh, i've dropped the ball on that trying to think what i've seen lately uh i didn't go to guardians of the galaxy yesterday because... it was really good oh is it that. okay I was, I was gonna end up going with marvel knocked it out of the park for the first time i don't see any propaganda in that film and i wasn't necessarily looking for it but i just don't see a whole lot of like influence on that one if anything it made me think of uh marvel a little bit better i feel like they've been kind of hitting some dead stumps for a little bit yeah i think most of the marvel films have been impacted by the department of defense in, in some way or another um but i think guardians of the galaxy has escaped that uh what did i see yesterday i saw an old stephen king movie yesterday about um evil gypsies called the thinner which was terrible oh god i love that movie that was a good oh you've movie. seen that one yeah uh <laughs> nice and formulaic i quite enjoyed it actually uh and uh I don't remember what else I've seen. Uh, Do you think Stanley Kubrick was exposed a little bit? Well, it's, it's uh, yeah, you'd have to ask his biographers on that. I mean, uh, Kubrick's obviously really interesting with all the um, conspiracies and mysteries that have flown around. He had here. access to the original NASA moon mission plans, which is so weird to me. Mm. Anyway, he's certainly an amazing director, so uh, I don't know. I I, I, I I don't feel I've got any sort of great insight on that. What do you think? What about Stan? I just think it's weird that he got the NASA moon mission plans. I mean, I don't know. I, why would the government give him access to those types of things as well, too? And then even if you don't – like if you believe that there's conspiracy stuff – I mean he was putting weird stuff in his films for a reason. Maybe that created his genius, but I don't think that helps with the amount of conspiracy theories that could be created. I mean it's difficult for me since I'm making a film, which is kind of like will I even have the option to get on a platform? Like, you know, that's the thing is like, even if I have Netflix connections or if I know someone and have it in on there, would they accept a conspiracy film that's related to one of the most controversial events? And it's not even really conspiracy. It's just saying something different than that's a narrative, which leads into the question, does the government spend more money buying films or producing films in their narrative, or does it spend more money silencing films? Mm, well, I mean, I I can help a little bit with the silencing of things. I mean, it's, it's, there's not a great deal of um, that we've come across of active suppression, um, but there is certainly uh, there is floor to ceiling in uh, uh, in uh, some of the military offices of scripts that they have rejected um, for support. In other words, and that probably means that if they don't support them, you know, the film, the, the script requires the Department of Defense to support them with equipment or whatever. So by not supporting them, they are effectively meaning that they can never be made. Um, and sometimes they do do that for you know, and this is this is hundreds of thousands, this is millions and millions of pages of material. 
Um, so there, we we are aware that um, that the the government could support a lot of um, uh, anti-war, for example, um, productions, but they choose not to, and that essentially damns them. Um, sometimes I've referred to it as a, a graveyard of um, graveyard of entertainment. Uh, is, is it possible that they can it, they can have a relationship with like streaming services or just use the word national security to be able to pull? I had a video flagged off YouTube because I showed a JFK document that got reclassified. So that's a, that was a national security issue. But I, I just it didn't make sense if they had released it. You know what I mean? Like I don't know if they do that with Netflix. Like if I was going to pitch something to Netflix, would they just tell Netflix you can't? That's against national security. I mean, nobody's ever did a conspiracy aspect on the JFK assassination that's been on a mainstream platform before. Yeah, I mean, what the the um, the sensors and um, whether automated or not are really um, they seem to be uh, much more alert and vociferous than they than they really should be uh, and seemingly more than they were just a few years ago uh i i found it as well um i put up a speech that got into the uh into the paper a couple of days ago so it was you know it all been checked it was all fine and i put up a speech and um uh but it was taken down it was one i did about propaganda in hollywood and how it related to benedict cumberbatch and um sasha baron cohen and uh, and that that was taken down for uh, it was reinstated after I after I complained, but that was taken down for about 36 hours, 40, 48 hours. Um, and it seems to me that there's often now um, complaints about misinformation. Uh, I've uploaded uh, this is a few weeks ago. I uploaded a friend of mine, uh, Derek Swanson, um, who makes films in New York about the pandemic and things like that. Uh, I uploaded that to a private link. Just because I wanted to see it, my to watch it through myself, um, just for my own uh, my own convenience, I was going to edit a bit out of it out. Even though I put it on a private link, they still said, "Yeah, you, you're not allowed to watch this because it's uh, it goes against COVID misinformation." So it's like it, it, I, I'm quite surprised at how um, how involved um, state censors are, are willing and able to be on uh, uh, on uh, normal social media platforms. It seems to be a kind of intervention that is really not not warranted. So when Elon Musk, for instance, got rid of a bunch of people at Twitter, I mean, I don't I, I don't know the, the the case really well, but I was a bit like, well, that's probably a good thing because I don't want a, just thousands and thousands more people interfering with whatever is going on in people's social media. Just clear them out. Twitter hasn't collapsed in the past few months. Seems to have done all right without um without a bunch of busybodies hanging uh, sticking their beaks in. But that's that's a fairly casual opinion that's not been based on a great deal of reading. I'm curious if your your film theaters of um war if that happened to have any conflicts trying to get on a platform. It's been okay. Um, we've had to. We're currently putting out a uh, a more commercial version of it, which has had to go through lawyers, which I think is costing quite a lot of money. But there is some backing for that. That's not that's not to do with me, but to do with the distributor. Um, so there's a lot of le uh, legal stuff and copyright stuff, but actually it's been, it, it, it has worked out that, uh, we haven't had too many problems, uh, along that line so far. Uh, the other film's been doing well, um, we've been touring it around. I went up to Scotland a few weeks ago to, to show a really nice cinema and, and an art center. Um, I think I'm, I think I'm, I might be doing some more archival research with Roger, the executive producer uh next uh next summer were people surprised after your film or watching it just to see the yeah influence? i think people are i mean i think there's a certain amount of denial that comes in because sometimes people say well yeah i already knew all that and that's why i emphasize at the, at the top of this um discussion we had today how you know this just what just wasn't known this it wasn't even known until six years ago when me and tom did our uh book on it but certainly if you go back say 20 25 years um, there was absolutely zero evidence, um, right, that's, that's an exaggeration, but close to zero evidence of government involvement in, uh, of government control uh, over the entertainment industry. Um, but, you know, we've, uh, you know, as a group, um, we've, we've completely shattered that, shattered that myth. Um, and the world operates in a much more conspiratorial way than, than one might think, which is one of the reasons I end up doing quite a lot of conspiracy podcasts i've ended up in that in that world but it just happens that that's what reality hey, is don't point at me as a conspiracy podcast i'm not a conspiracy theorist 
I just don't necessarily agree with some of the stuff that's going on out there. But the, that recent documentation, or I guess in the past 25 years, I mean, we look at films now, look at back in the 20s and 30s when they're saying the Red Scare and they're doing all this type of stuff. It makes sense now where you look at it, you're like, holy crap, of course, this was all just pushing, you know, to hate communism and broad brush that. And I'm not, I don't know if I fully even understand what communism is 100%, but you really start examining just the amount of stuff that was getting pushed into people's heads. No wonder like other generations think the way that they do. And yeah, and at different points in American history, um, different agencies have had um, different levels of power. So for instance, from the 1930s until the 1970s, the FBI was a real player in um, uh, in the entertainment industry, uh, whereas the, you know the CIA wasn't doing really very much uh, at that particular time, uh, and the Department of Defense was not as as significant. Well, let's say you know the FBI was a lot more significant, basically under Hoover, uh, under J Edgar Hoover, um, and when he died, um, you know the the TV series um, the FBI, uh, which was the most popular television series in the States at the time. Uh, the, once that ended, the, the role of the FBI over the past 50 years in um, uh, in film productions has, has lessened considerably. It still is around. It still is part of what you might call the national security state. It still has influence over some. Um, and the CIA's fortunes have, have uh, but, but sorry, pre-war, the FBI was also um, really important in the 1930s. Um, and then there were films like I was a communist for the FBI and all those kind of things. So, so they, they sort of had a, a, a fairly important presence. CIA what, um, formed in the late 40s, um, and the, the standard historiography about the CIA is that, that it didn't have, um, it, well, the, the, the standard book on this is that the CIA was an absent presence uh, in Hollywood, um, from the mid 40s until uh, the early 1960s. One of the things that me and Tom did, and I think it's one of the best bits of the book that we did actually, um, a sort of 15 page part of that uh, in national security cinema, we demonstrate how that historian is mistaken on this. And actually the, C the CIA probably couldn't have been, could, might not have even formed in 1947 if it hadn't laid the ground um, by making three, uh, by them being involved in making three productions um, in 1946, which were um, laying the PR ground for um, for its existence, and then beyond that, even into the 1950s, it was um, to call it an absent presence is a very uh, light touch way of explaining it. It was basically suppressing um, a lot of uh, a lot of films in the 1950s. Um, uh, to the extent that there was not even any mention of the acronym CIA in any movie uh, until 1959 with um, Alfred Hitchcock's North by Northwest. Um, and then even after that, I think that the only film that mentioned it um, until 1962 was Dr. No, the James Bond film. Uh, and that mentioned it very briefly by mentioning that character, Felix Leiter, the, the CIA guy. Um, even though the CIA actually, um, I think it was CIA, worked on that first Bond film um, and provided um, the jetpack thing that he uses. Um, so that's interesting. They took secrecy to me, like 100% secrecy. Like we don't even got, yeah, yeah. So they basically just squashed loads of things. But then, in the, but then throughout the 1960s and 70s, because there was a greater peace movement, um, the CIA found it harder to really do anything. Um, and even into the 80s, it was not very successful. It didn't have an official office there. Um, one of the things that uh, uh, that happened in the mid 80s was that the CIA, uh, sorry, that Marlon Brando, the actor, uh, tried to make a film, tried to bid for a script um, about the Iran-Contra affair. Um, and he was outbid by a front company. And it turned out that that front company was a CIA front company. Um, and so they were able to take the script, buy it, and then just dump it, um, suppress it, so that he couldn't make a Hollywood movie about Iran-Contra. So there's a good, you know, th there are these kind of cases that are pickled around um, that that do point to out-and-out -out suppression. Um, those kind of things do sometimes happen, uh, and they're really interesting, of course, when they do.
Yeah, I, the whole history, honestly, of military influence is just a little bit. I don't know. I, I can't, like I said, I can't stop seeing it everywhere I look, which kind of sucks. But even if it's necessarily not even influenced by the military, I just kind of look at it like, oh, this has a propaganda message, a hundred percent. You know, lone survivor. I almost signed up at a recruitment station, a hundred percent. That's not a joke. So you get to that point, but you know, Matt, I appreciate the time you gave me to talk on my show, man. I know you got to run, but where can people find your links? Um, any links you want to promote? Twitter, TikTok, anything like that. Um, I mean, if you you can find me on um, uh, on Facebook, and probably the best place to find me is uh, Facebook. The writer with no hands. Um, that's the name of my first documentary, The Writer with No Hands. So you find me on there. I'm I feel very out of date by being on Facebook. Hardly anyone uses it these days, as I understand it. Everyone just tells me it's for old people. And I do have the other things. I do have Twitter and Instagram, so you can find my name on that, Matthew Alford. Um, it's just I don't really use them um so facebook is best but um yeah uh, through through any any means that you, you like uh, you can chase me up i'm somewhere on um uh tiktok as well but i can't remember what it is now linkedin Forget linkedin that. got a linkedin uh, no i don't use linkedin <laughs> just too annoying uh, uh nobody does <laughs> no no um but yeah uh yeah uh, uh, if you want to look up the probably the best thing that i've done uh over the past few years is the film Theatres of War. Uh, uh, that came out last year. And then just because it's on my mind, uh, two days ago, three days ago, an article came out in the Morning Star, uh, uh, which was about, um, uh, uh, about, it was an, uh, basically an anti-war statement, but as it ties into um, arts and culture and uh, that kind of thing. So if people want to read my stuff, then please do follow, uh, Please do look, look, look that up. I'll look, I'll uh, link it in the description too for people to be able to click on. And thanks everybody for listening to this episode of Out of the Blank. Stay tuned for our next episode.